Build. Ten steps to the new spiritual you. Would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we love you so very much, Father, and we thank you. We thank you for the wisdom and, and, and value of your word, Father, to help us live in a way that's pleasing in your sight, to help us grow as we walk that journey towards spiritual maturity. Father, you are a great God indeed. And Father, we thank you for blessing us each and every day, Father. We thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you, Father, for allowing us that time where we can just be still and listen, that time where we can go in private, Father, and have a conversation with you. Father, we love you so very much. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So, in tonight's lesson, we will discuss two important features, if you will, of spiritual maturity and how each one of them support the other. In this session, we will examine steps four and five in the process of spiritual maturity as we pursue the goal of godliness, which is something that we as Christians, all of us, should be striving to achieve. In the last session, we concluded that Simplifying our lives help us to, rather helps us to achieve greater intimacy with God. And this is so because of two reasons. Number one, removing the clutter from our lives leaves more time for us to be with God. And number two, being with or closer to God enables God to mold us or mold me into the character of Christ that he wants to see in me. So tonight we will review the fourth step in our journey to spiritual maturity, which is the virtue of, of stillness and its companion virtue, which is the virtue of solitude. I know Terry can relate to that. <laughs> And there are a few other hockey fans in here as well. But uh, there was a gentleman, a hockey player by the name of Doug Harvey. He was a defenseman who played for the Montreal Canadiens in the 1950s and 1960s. He was a great hockey player, not because he was a great scorer, but because he could single-handedly change the pace of the game. And what do we mean by this? He could speed it up by making a one-man rush with the, with the puck into the opposing team's zone, or he can hold on to the puck in the defensive zone. And by doing this, uh, he, he, was, he was changing the pace of the game. So again, as a defenseman, he did not score a lot of goals, but as I said earlier, he could change the rhythm of the game, which was often a benefit to his teammates, but it also tended to frustrate his opponents. So when we speak of rhythm, I want to pose two rhetorical questions at this point. And the first being, <clears throat> on a scale of one, which is very slow, to ten, which is super fast, Rhetorical now. What rhythm would you say that your overall life is at between one and ten? The second rhetorical question is this. What speed do you think your life needs to be at in order to develop godliness, in order to develop spiritual maturity? 
in Psalm one, in Psalm 46, we're going to be going there in a minute and reading from there, but in Psalms 46, the psalmist explains at what speed we learn the most about God and come to resemble him. And you will note that the writer breaks up the psalm by repeating the word Selah. He repeats it three times. The word means to stop, to cease, to pause. With this repeated instruction, he is saying to the reader, stop, pause, let this sink in. In this psalm, Psalm 46, the psalmist describes the upheaval of nature. He describes the assault of enemies. He describes the violence of war. Now, faced with these level 10 speed type of events, God says to man, stop, pause. Let it sink in. Oops. There we go. So then, starting at verse 1 chapter of Psalm 46. God is our refuge. And strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah. stopped, you've paused, you're letting it sink in. Good, good, good. Verses four and five. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. He begins by saying that despite natural disasters, godly people know that God will help them. Godly people know that there is no need to panic. Verse 6, the nations made an uproar. The kingdoms, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. 
Verse 8. Ah, again, got one point here. Despite the attacks of all kinds, right? Attacks being from the enemies, from disease, from financial ruin. God is still able to protect his people. And at verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations on, in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Even at times of war, God's people are told to stop, to cease striving, to be quiet, to do nothing. Now, this is the opposite reaction to what is normal, right? With our lives moving at at that level of somewhere between 8 and 10, it never crosses our minds to simply stop. Just stop. Most of us cannot, most of us will not stop. As a consequence, we miss an opportunity to deepen our knowledge of God. Simplifying our lives draws us near to God. Being still when we are close to God enables us to know him better. If you cannot if I cannot discipline myself, that just going back to step one of this, remember self-control, discipline. If I cannot discipline myself to be still, I may know about God, hmm, but I cannot know him personally. To know him It's the beginning of our transformation. And we talked about transformation before because we are transformed by the renewing of our minds by virtue of the fact that we are no longer conforming to the world, but we are now conforming to the will of God. And as a result of this, we are being transformed by the renewing of of our minds to become like him. When we are still before God, when I am still before God, the Holy Spirit is able to to reveal and clarify the meaning and, and application of God's word as it pertains to, you can say, our lives, or more specifically, my life. This understanding is what changes our character into the image of of his character as we truly go about the business of grasping what it what he is saying to us in his word our minds and character are slowly becoming more and more like Christ's mind and Christ's character at John 1 at verse 14 you see it on the board there John 1 at verse 14 
the Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten son, or rather of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, the word becomes flesh once again, but this time the, the, the word becomes our flesh, not the flesh of the baby Jesus. So what do we mean by, what, what do we mean by stillness? Well, let me give you a few suggestions. Stillness, for example, not talking to God or dictating to God, but quietly listening to God. Not worrying about, but simply trusting in God to take care of those things that are before us. Not constantly reviewing our needs and fears, but giving them over to God without instructions. Okay, God, I want you to do this, that, 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 and that. This is how I want you to do that. No, we're not doing that. He already knows. He does not need any clarification from us. Next is not figuring out the answers or proper solutions, but simply waiting on God patiently to respond. And lastly, not working on or working out our perfection, but accepting God's imputed perfection that we receive through Christ Jesus. So our goal then, our goal is not to, our goal is not the stillness of the body because we're not monks. It's the stillness of the heart when, when facing or near, being near to God, being still at that time. Psalm 46 and verse 10. This song is actually in the book. <laughs> I mean, it's a short one, too, but it's a real nice song to sing. Be still and know that I am God. Now, if we put this in the street sense, <laughs> like we say, the street vernacular, God is saying, shut up <laughs> and listen to me and know that I'm God. That's what he's saying. So the question that arises next is this. How do we cultivate stillness? And the answer to that, to that is the fifth step to spiritual maturity. We cultivate stillness and solitude. Just as simplicity enables intimacy, solitude facilitates stillness. In his book, uh, we're talking about uh, Mr. Swindoll's book. He says, people, and you think about this, this is so true. People rarely learn something while in a crowd. People rarely learn something while in a crowd. Purposefully keeping busy and purposefully cramming every minute, every moment of the day with some type of activity really is a sign of fear. It's a sign of 
insecurity. Think about our, our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. He was always busy. He was always busy. He was always in demand, but check this out. He always made time to be alone. He always made time to be in solitude with the Father so that Christ Jesus could listen. So what I'm saying is this right here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of being alone. Don't be afraid of just being still. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because it's it's unfamiliar territory for us. But realize that purposeful solitude is an is an investment in your in my spiritual development. Now, here are some suggestions on cultivating stillness through solitude. Number one, pick a time, pick a place, when and where you can be alone for, let's say, 30 minutes. Bring a notebook, bring a pen. You're going to need it. Number two, let your mind run to empty out all thoughts concerning family, work, problems, plans, projects. Do this until you're quiet of mind. You know, it can get to be scary sometimes, you know that? You guys have been to interviews before, and you know the interviewers are sitting across from you, and, and they ask a question, and you answer it, and then they're just not talking to you, not looking at you, just writing, and you're sitting there like, do I need to say something else? And I always tell people when I'm teaching interviewing is that when you open your mouth that second time, that's when you're going to get yourself in trouble. Say what you got to say and be quiet. They'll get back to you. They'll get back to you. Same thing here. Be quiet and let God get back to you. Number three, write down what you think as a way of dialoguing with God. A kind of private Spiritual diary, if you will. Let this be your way of practicing the state of solitude so that you can become, so that I can become comfortable in solitude and thus begin to reap the rewards that are found only there. Hmm. You guys ready to Tell me what you've been thinking the last week. Yeah, I can tell. I can see it in your eyes. Okay. Take this solitary moment, solitary moment for a moment here. Number one, on a scale of one, one being very slow to 10 being super fast, how would you rate the pace of your life? And are you satisfied with that pace? And if you want to tell us yes or no, you can tell us why. Who wants to jump out there first? <laughs> 
Put your hand up. Yeah, that's it. The speed of my life sometimes feels out of control. And many times that's because other people are telling me what to do, when to do, how to do, and do again and again, or, you know, faster, I need this now. So sometimes I feel like my life is in other people's control. So I'm rushing to do this, rushing to do that, rushing to come back, rushing over, coming back, forgetting something, need to come back, find this again, go there, find out it was already in my car, and I just missed it. So, and other times, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of both. I feel like, man, this is just going a long, long time. And the third part, when it's taking a long time, it's just like floating. It's nice. It's what I need. My time with God. Thank you. There you go, bro. <laughs> <laughs> So I would say, on average, my scale is about a 7 to an 8. And my wife does a very good job of slowing me down before I get out of control, which is very nice. And something I've been working on when I get really stressed is if you take just lay down on the floor and take a 10-minute nap, man, the world is a brighter place. I'm not sure that's what you're looking for, but it works for me. The way this works is, is your thought. Okay, anyone else? So, uh, yeah, I used to have a a fast-paced life, um, you know, working at work and outside of work. Um, Nowadays, uh, I don't know. I gave up a lot of things and slowed down a lot so I'd say it's more like a four um, a lot less responsibilities other than the kids so it's, it's kind of nice thank you calling all hands okay it wouldn't be fair for me to ask you guys to say something if I don't say anything see most of the time I'm running nine and ten I'm learning to get down to around a good speed, like a six or seven. Um, anything slower than that is too slow for me. I, I need to have some momentum going because I need to keep things going in my mind. I'm, I've learned to clear my head. But I, I learned that a few years ago. The lady I used to work with, she taught a class called, um, uh, what did we call it at the time? We called, oh, Empowered Living. And, and, she she taught just you need to go to another place sometimes, especially when things get start overrunning you. You need to find that quiet place that you can go to and you need to develop it in such a way that you can be driving down the street and go to that quiet place. And at the same time, you can pay attention to the traffic and you're not running stoplights and running over people or stuff like that. But you're letting your mind go from the stuff.
that can that can get you going. So, um, am I satisfied with the nine or ten, with the six or with the uh, with the nine or ten? No, that's why I like stand around that seven or eight or maybe even a six. Do can I always get there? No, because um, it's just I have to deal with a lot of people all the time, and a lot of times when I have to deal with people, I'm not always dealing with people that are happy. Uh, and because I'm not always dealing with people that are happy, I have to uh, I have to keep keep pace of myself as well to make sure that I don't go where they're trying to get me to go. And so and that's difficult sometimes. But but it's I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at it. I'm learning how to go to that quiet place at the drop of a hat and just let it go. All right. I think somebody told me being born in April, too, helps me do that, too. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Okay. Anybody else? Oh. On a scale of 1 to 10, I think I'm a 10. Um, I find it very difficult to slow down. And I want things done, and I want them done my way. Um, I was five months pregnant, and I asked Glenn to change my, put my snow tires on. He was going to do it, but he took his time. So at five months pregnant, I changed all four tires and put snow tires on. That gives you some example. So now I have been staining my deck up and down on the ladder, up and down on the ladder. So Glenn says to me yesterday, take a break, get some water. So I did. He says, you didn't even take five minutes. I said, yes, I did. So that's where I am. I'm pretty much at a 10. Am I satisfied with it? Yes. Because I have always had my quiet time, and my quiet time is between 10 and 12 midnight. That's the time I can study. That's the time I can read my Bible. But from the time I get up to the time I go to bed, I have to be busy. And I stay busy. I mow my own lawn because I want it done a certain way. So I just do a lot of things on my own. But that's just me. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Cool. Anybody else? All right. If there are no more takers on number one, these get progressively easier. See, in your opinion, what is the number one factor that determines the pace of your life? What or who should be the primary factor? Stop, pause, let it sink in. Now that it is sunk in a little bit, do we have any takers? I I could say uh, after retiring in March, you know, my life was at a 10 to 12 for a number of years, working six, seven days a week and whatever. But uh, uh, the number one factor that determined the pace of my life was me. Because a lot like Liz, you want to be a perfectionist. You want to get things done right. 
And so uh, it was easy for me to just go, go, go and get things done. was never good about asking for help, those kind of things. So I guess that was my own worst enemy in a lot of ways. So I think uh, for me, I, you know, obviously we all would say God, but what w- the most important thing in life has to surround yourself around the spiritual aspect of everything. And when we learn to put the spiritual before the physical, it takes care of the control of our lives. It also takes care of the balance in our lives. There are things that are urgent and there are things that are important. And you have to find in your life what... Um, is important and then make sure the urgent never replaces the important. Uh, whenever, uh, like James said earlier about people, dealing with people, every phone call is urgent um, from one person trying to get in contact with you for a specific reason or a particular reason. But it's not always important. And so you have to be able to distinguish the difference between what is urgent and what is important so that the urgent doesn't replace God. And it's very easy for the urgent to replace God because people are excited, emotional, um, maybe they have their struggles, whatever it may be, and you drop whatever you're doing, even if it's studying God's Word, or the phone rings and you stop stop your, your study or you stop your prayer. If you've been there before where the phone rings and, you know, maybe it rings twice while you're praying and you you shorten your prayer to go and answer the phone because it could be a very urgent phone call, but that is not what's important. What's important is when you have your time with God, you don't allow anyone or anything interrupt that important time that you have with God because Satan always wants to disrupt our lives or um, to focus us into a different direction or to cause us to replace what's important by that which is urgent. Thank you. Anyone else? Ah. I love that question. That's a very good question. But that's why my time is at from 10 to 12 midnight. Because can't nobody reach me after 10 o'clock. My phones don't even ring. I cut them off. And also, one of the things that I really love is that every morning I get up, I say, he allowed me one more day. He allowed me to wake up. And that's the first thing I do when I go and get up in the morning. I go to the john. And you've heard me say this before. I start from my toes. And I thank God for my toes, my toenails. And I just go all the way up. So that starts my day. And so it's very important to me that that's why I'm busy during the day. And I could not be busy if it wasn't for God. Sure, I know I'm, I'm almost 100 years old now, and I probably should be showing, slowing down, but I'm able to do the things I do because of him. Okay, thank you. And Liz, we're blessed with that age for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> 
If God wanted us to be slow, he would have had us slow it too. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> My wife reminded me that I didn't answer the second question. <laughs> I have a new boss now. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's, that's the journey for me right now is working for, you know, over 50 years and, and now having available time and really trying to set my priorities right. And, and Tony was right. Uh, if you're too busy for God, you're too busy. And so that's the adventure for Sarah and I both together now is we have the time. We're going to prioritize a lot of things in our life. But he'll be number one, and it's it's helping us to serve uh, our families better, our neighbors better, uh, friends that we have, and uh, that's a real joy to have that where you can actually step back for a moment and say, you know, this is really working, and uh, and it's all God's work. And so, uh, again, we're we're still kind of wading through all this, uh, you know, because a lot of us the most that's all we ever knew and then all of a sudden retirement comes and you're just like okay <laughs> so anyway thank you I had the answer. no problem anyone else what I find myself doing and what I do because I the, the clientele that I have to work with I find myself praying for them a lot uh, not just at night sometimes at work uh, because I see the challenges in their life and it's the challenges that they haven't they don't have the experience of working with. And it's, it's a challenge to get them to see themselves differently, to have that, that uh, change take place between their ears. So I find myself praying for them a lot because of that. Um, anyone else on this question? Number three. With all of the encouragement and proof of God's care, why do you think so many believers, not the, not the non-believers, the believers, do not turn to him in time of need? Why is this so? Now, this does happen, trust me. There are a lot of believers that do not turn to God in time of need. So let's, let's not even think that they, that is not the case, because that is the case. Uh, because we know for a fact ourselves, individuals, that when things are going good, you see them, you, they, they, you see them a lot. But when things start going south on them, that's when they want to shut down and, 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 and forget about God's encouragement, forget about God's care. So with all the encouragement and proof of God's care, why do you think, not that you have the answer, so many believers do not turn to God in time of need? Why is this so? Why do you think? Oh. Of course, I don't know the answer, <laughs> but I, I, I suspect that people have a more theoretical relationship with God and not a practical relationship with God. And so when you have a practical relationship, just this everyday, daily relationship, you don't, you're, you're communicating with him throughout the day, you're praying as you go out throughout the day and working, you tend to go to him for everything including your time of need. But when you have sort of like a compartmentalized relationship with God, 
and on Sundays, yeah, abstract and theoretically, you don't think about going to him in your time of need. That, that's, I just suspect that. Um, but I think that um, it's unfortunate that people don't have a real practical relationship with God. So they can talk to him about these very small, I think when I was in practice, my colleagues used to say, uh, my, my secretary said that the, the lawyers in the building were always talking about me behind my back. They used to call me the God Squad. And she said, because I'm always bringing God into everything. They, he's not concerned about your day-to-day things. He's, he's feeding homeless children in Ethiopia, that he's not concerned about your day-to-day things. And I thought that was really interesting because it's, it's the day-to-day things that I really need him for. And so... Um, but I think that's why it's just the, the kind of relationship people are experiencing with God. Oh, thank you. Excuse me. Just tagging, oh, sorry, just tagging on to um, Pam for a sec. It, it's, I mean, the Bible tells us it's, it's our unbelief. It, it doesn't, we, we say we're believers and we believe, we believe in our minds, but it's not written in our hearts to a degree it needs to be yet. And that's part of the growth process. But we need to pray, help our unbelief. Because even when we, we, I'm a believer, but I know there are moments where I need to say, help my unbelief. Even as much as I believe, because in those moments, clearly I am not. So we need to actually be, I think, a little bit harder on ourselves. I don't mean harder, I just mean let's just kind of call a spade a spade. And say, because we're not believing enough. The, the, our faith is not strong enough. But we can, it, it can get there, and it will get there, yeah. if we keep trying. That is so true, and that's what we're working on. That's why we have this, these 10 steps to spiritual maturity class that we have going on right now. So while I was growing up, I was not in the church. And my father, he taught me to fix things yourself. So don't depend on other people. And that became don't depend on God. So I lived my life this way for a long time until I was not, when I was baptized here years back, it didn't happen then. It happened, started changing, a slow, slow process changing, learning to not always jump in myself and fix things, whatever I needed to do, I needed to do whether I'm being trying to be perfect in everything or not perfect or whatever. I needed to just do it. Doesn't matter what the situation. Fix this, fix a life, fix a friend, fix this. Doesn't matter. But over time, <laughs> of course, I saw all the cracks in my shiny life. <laughs> and they weren't just cracks. They, things were falling apart. And I recognized that. And I understood that I did need help. So I called my friends. It was good. It was good. But not enough. And then eventually, I found the right friend. And things have been... And that's still my habit. That I need to... As you say, I need to learn to let go, let go, let go. And hold on, hold on, hold on. Thank you. Anyone else? I think it it oh. might be that 
is am I too loud? No, go ahead. Okay. I think it might be that we don't trust God to do it our way. <laughs> if I can have a list to God, I want you to do this, 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 and don't forget that. Do that before you do this. Then everything's fine. But you know, he's just not going to do it my way. <laughs> and yes, you can have belief without trust. I, I, all of us started off with belief without trust because when, when we look at the point we're coming from unsaved to being saved, that initial thing was just to believe that God exists and that God will allow did God allow Christ Jesus to suffer and die for my sins? But if we think the moment we get in the waters, come out of the waters of baptism, we've arrived, we haven't. We haven't at all. And I think that's the mistake a lot of people make. I don't know if it's the way we're teaching or it's our, our thought process, but we think, I've arrived. I've come out of the water. I've arrived. <laughs> we've just begun. Uh, my, one of my favorite groups when I was young was the Carpenters, and I love that song. We've only just begun, <laughs> because we can, and that's why I looked at it when I came out of Waters of Baptism. I've only just begun, and and it's it's a process, and to we can't, we don't even know what it is we want to trust them for at that stage, to that degree. Go ahead. I believe you can drive. I don't necessarily trust you to, to ride with you. So there's a difference. I, I, I believe there's a God, but I have to trust there's a God. Yeah. If I don't trust there's a God, then my belief is null and void. Because if I believe something, I believe I have five fingers, but I don't trust that they're there and they're going to work for me, then they're no good. So I just, I just disagree that you can have a strong belief and not have trust. Okay, now, now this time you say a strong belief. The first time you said belief. Remember uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6? Oh, okay, all of a sudden I lost it. We must believe that God exists and he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. If we're diligently seeking him, that's, that's building up our trust because we are diligently working toward this. And it's a process. It's not a one been there, done that. We're just about out of time, and that's a good thing. So let's look at number four real quick. I'll let you do that one to yourself. You can have that one to yourself. You think about it, and you answer it for yourself and with God. Number five. Okay, we're not going to get to two minutes. <laughs> we're not going to get to two minutes today. But that's okay, though. You know what? I like it because we didn't get the two minutes because we stopped. We got finished with what the, the presentation at about 20 minutes into it. And it gave us 25 minutes to contemplate, to think, and to speak. And that's a good thing. That's what we wanted this class to be anyway. We didn't want this class to be all James standing up here running off at the mouth. Glenn, don't say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we want this class to be James standing up here running off at the mouth for 45 minutes and then you guys get to say, oh, thanks. This is great. That's what we want it to be. That's what Tony was envisioning before he went on vacation when he said he would love the time to come from up there and come down here and bring this class to us here so that we can participate. We've started this process. You guys are making it work great because you guys are talking. You guys are talking. 
Yes. What, what Ms. Liz said was, it's awesome. She loved hearing what the people think, and we need to keep doing that. Thank you, too, sis. All right. So then, um, for all of those who are visiting us online, we have our contact information up there. For all of those who, who are visiting us online and we have never met, we would love to meet you. We would love to meet you. Come join us on Sunday. Come Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Come join us on Wednesday. We would love to meet you face to face and talk to you. And thank you all for being here. We have a devotional in a few minutes.